This is the Ignition Podcast and I'm Harry. If you're listening, I know that one way or another you love cars. It may have started early or you're just dipping your toe into the vast car world. Regardless of that, here I speak to people I, as a petrol head, find inspiring, interesting and entertaining to dive into what got them to where they are today. So, thank you for being here and join me on my journey to becoming the number one automotive podcast in the world. Being able to speak to amazing people and release their conversations every week is such a pleasure. And it means so much to me that people like you get to listen to this every week. And the fact that you're continuing to listen means even more. But I wanted to ask for a bit more support. I've started a Buy Me A Coffee. You can go onto the link down in the show notes below, click and donate as little or as much as you'd like. It would help me produce better content, keep the editing up, and just in general have better conversations so I can travel further and bring you better guests. If this sounds like something you'd like to help me with, the link will be in the show notes below. Again, thank you so much for listening. It's enough already. And so enjoy this episode. Being new to something is scary. Our early to mid-twenties are for us to find out what we do and don't like. We decide where we want to be and what we want our slice of the pie to look like. So what happens when we do have an idea we want to pursue? What happens when we decide to chase our passion instead of letting our potential rot? Lewis Horton decided that spending his time making sure fruit and veg wasn't rotten was not what he should be doing and instead chose to write about a subject he cared deeply about. Motorsport. At the end of each month, you'll hear from someone on the start of their journey pursuing their passion for cars, motorsport and more. And if you're intrigued to hear how Lewis stopped picking up carrots and started picking up his own clients, this episode is for you. Lewis, what ignited your passion for cars? So, it actually started on two wheels. And as of recording this, I'm writing tomorrow's posts, which will obviously be out by the time you're listening to this. But... Um, the passion started with MotoGP. My dad uh, used to ride, and so I've naturally grown up around bikes, going to watch him ride, um, going to races to see you know the professionals ride, whether it's British Superbike mm-hmm. or MotoGP. I've been to a few races in my time. Um, so growing up, it was Valentino Rossi that was on my wall, you know, posters everywhere. I loved his story and his attitude and his personality. I think, you know, a lot of people sort of say he was bigger than MotoGP just because of how much of a great personality he was. So he sort of sparked it back in 2003, I think was like the first year I watched it. So I was five, you know, so I've, it's been a long time. And then I got into F1 around the time that Hamilton got involved. So what, 2007, yeah so yeah it's actually been it actually started on two wheels and i used to race as a kid a little bit not competitively i'd i had a little dirt bike that i'd go with my dad and i'd ride it around and fall off quite a lot but yeah so it started on two wheels not four but that is yeah it came from family and what is i guess what is watching someone like your dad race because my parents never raced they're not into cars um, well, my dad's been into cars, but like as far as I got, like my my passion and obsession for you know motorsport, not not as much, but more it's more as motive, but still like that came out of nowhere. And I guess for me, it's always come from a if you you know create an environment with a lack of something, that person might want it. For instance, is why you know some millionaires became millionaires because they didn't have money growing up, therefore they mm. desired after I didn't have nice cars growing up. Yeah. I wasn't around that, so I decided I was like, cool, right now I want to experience more of this. 
stuff. But for you, Lewis, like, what was it like growing up around racing? What did you sort of like learn about? Like I said, learn about the world from watching your dad do it and you doing it as well. Um, it was kind. It kind of shone a new light on just the discipline that the professionals have to put into it, and you know how much time it takes to get to the the very top level. Because my dad and his friends would take part in in races, but and that you know they'd be quick, but then in comparison to the professionals, that the the pros would run rings around them. And it's just it gives you this appreciation for the 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 talent gap between a regular person like you or I and you know the people at the very top of the game, you know, like Verstappen and yeah. things like that. You yeah. know, that's just beyond words. The you know the difference in terms of they've dedicated their lives to this, and it's paying off in heaps and ba- you know heaps and heaps of rewards obviously bought 19 wins last year so yeah i think it's just an appreciation of you're surrounded by it, you get an appreciation for what goes into it and then you can kind of understand not fully because just to get into the head of a professional racer you just can't fathom it but it gives you an appreciation for what goes into it the input and the output basically it, it yeah. sort of shines a light on that that you might not know if you weren't always into it as a kid or, you know, surrounded by it. Yeah. Cause I mean, these guys are, you know, at this point they're professional athletes, aren't they? they you know, they're training the bodies so hard. They're going through you know, mental regeneration, physical preparation, you know, nutrition and all this stuff. Like they're treated like, you know, you were, you were treated an athletic, Olympic athlete or a sprinter. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I've spoken to some racing drivers, even like at lower levels and they were always like, yeah, well, I did this and this and this and I run for a couple of miles and, they got neck strength training, and then I'm, mm. like, I'm just like, what the heck? Like, because my I used to race go karts as a kid, and that was mm. like that. You just showed up. It was like yeah. Sunday league football. You showed up. Pretty <laughs> much. You did your laps around the track. You were you were told you were a bit slow here. You, you missed mm. you missed a turn in there, and that was it. There was no like you know t- telemetry data. You didn't look at the you know the throttle positioning. Like for instance, this morning I went to a um, a sim place uh, and I did I did a podcast with them. And I sit in the sin. I'm like, this is like this thing's as close as I'm going to get to, you know, driving the car in the real, in the real world. Um, but look, did you did you want to race? Was that like after what your dad doing? And you think did you want did you want to make that a career or was this sort of something that you kind of went? It's like Sunday league football. I know it's like a hobby. I did. I did want to race, and it's quite a funny story because I obviously grew up watching my dad race and. Obviously, down the line, I was told this story that one year they'd bought me uh, a little uh, motocross bike because my dad did road bikes and then he transitioned to dirt bikes sort of around the time I was born. Um, so grew up watching him on dirt bikes, loved it, rented them at this local track of ours and they were going to get me, or sorry, Santa was going to get me. Ah, yes. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. A dirt Big bike. Big man in the sky. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They were going to get me a dirt bike and my dad had built it up in the garage and it was ready for Christmas. And about a month, I think about a month before Christmas, I sort of said to my parents, I said, I want a BMX and I don't want a dirt bike anymore. And they're, think, they're like thinking, you know, there's a dirt bike in the garage ready to go, built. You know, you could ride it out right now if you wanted to. Obviously, they didn't tell me this. Um so obviously Santa aims to please and uh, 
I mean, they ended up making money on this dirt bike by selling it. So, you know, I'm kind of <laughs> young Martin Lewis. I don't know. But um, yeah, so they sold it. They ended up making money on, on this bike. Uh, and I got ended up getting a BMX. But I kind of wish I hadn't done BMX. Because BMXing was just to hang about with my mates at the park. You know, ride around, playing out, uh, you know, on the field or whatever. Whereas a dirt bike could have actually been something that I took a bit more seriously and turned into a proper sort of passion of mine. Um, so I never got to racing, racing. Um, but running up to that, I was we were renting a bike quite often at the circuit and I was using it a lot. Yeah. And then we, we, we built a cart. We, my dad bought a, an old cart that wasn't really running um, and we both sort of stripped it down and rebuilt it and we'd take it to a local track. So that was pretty fun. Um, but... There was never anything like a competitive level or, you know, even like a regional level. It was just mm. for a, a, a fun hobby. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you feel, because I, I, um, I remember my first paycheck, like working as a, like a 16-year-old, and I spent like 300 quid on this Tony Kart, Tony Kart chassis. That's what um, I was worth. Tony Kart. It was a twin-engine Tony Kart. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I remember what mine was. Um, I think I literally just saw, like, because I, 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 you know, I spent the whole of, like, my teens at school you know, mm. talking about this like, go-karting obsession I had, but never actually really went go-karting after, like, you know, the age of, I think, 13. So from, like, year 7 to 11, I was like, oh, I love go-karting, but, you know, yeah, it was kind of like my personality at school. Um, I, and then you, <laughs> you get I know what you mean. a bit of money. You get a bit of money, you buy a car, and I'm like, oh, I've yeah. never done this before, and I didn't have to do that. I just, like, I taught myself, like, you know, welding, and I taught myself, you know, geometry, and I put this thing together, and it was a pain in the ass. But, um, <laughs> oh, I never went that far. If it ever got to the point of welding, I'd be like, I'd pass my dad the tools. I'd be like, there you go. You know, I'm, you know, it, I think there was one point we had to clear a brake line, and obviously you'd have to, I don't know, that might not be brakes, it might be fuel, whatever. You have to suck something, and something comes out, and it tastes <laughs> yeah. horrible. I'm like, I'm not doing that. You, you can do that. Um, I'll awesome. just, I'll just drive it. And the thing, the funny thing is, because we were only doing it for sort of fun. Um, we didn't have my dad had a helmet from when he used to ride, but we didn't have like proper overalls. So I had my dad's like old mechanic rags on yeah. that were far too big for me. So I looked like the Michelin man getting in this cart. You know, the sleeves were like dragging on the wheels, and you know, it wasn't aerodynamic. Let's put it that way. But it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, now it's just every now and then me and friends will go to you know, a team sport or whatever. And I will be the most competitive person there. And if I don't win, I'm upset. <laughs> you know, I'm like, if I'm right about it and I've done it semi, you know, I've done it in the past, you know, a few times and had a cart and had a bike. If I'm not fastest, then there's something wrong, you know. If someone, heads will roll. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, either I'm slacking or you've got a hidden talent because there's no way I should be losing. Yeah, I've spent the last 10 years of my life doing this. So you can beat me. I, you might as well go and straight into F1 because <laughs> no one's I mean, that I, lucky off the boat. The thing is, I, you know, you look at like the, the, the times for the circuits and I'm still like seconds off the fastest lap. And I'm like, I, unless I had hours, I don't know how I'd find that time. But that's the difference between us mere mortals mm -hmm. and the professionals, you know. I'd push to my absolute limit and I'm like, that's all I can do. And then someone else would just be able to get five more seconds out of it. And that's, 
that gives me an appreciation for the pros, you know. 100%. I always used to tell myself it was some skinny 11-year-old that hit a growth spurt too early. Yeah. That's the reason. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This guy was two seconds quicker than me. No other reason. Just that's it. No, He's no. Just... It's nothing to do with, you know, racing lines or anything like yeah. that. It's just they were lighter and they maybe had a faster cart. I always used to say that. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. It's like, you know, actually that time you were like, karting growing up and stuff at school, was you know what you do now ever can like ever considered a career like when you when you were like sort of like sixteen maybe like seventeen did did copywriting no. for motorsport ever seem feasible? No, so a lot of copywriters have said sort of on their in their origin stories that they didn't even know copywriting was a thing. Mm. You, you'd see it everywhere on advertisements on websites, but you didn't know it as copy or copywriting. Um, so. I've always enjoyed writing, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, journalism kind of things. I've always enjoyed doing it. But at no point did I think there'd be some sort of career made out of it because I've always been told that writing is not a very well-paid career and it's very hard to get into and competitive. So even though it's always been something I've been okay at and enjoyed, it's never really, until the last couple of years, been something I've given a proper push and it, um, yeah, I just started on LinkedIn. I didn't think anything would come of it. It was more, I got LinkedIn to find a copywriting job in-house somewhere. So I got it to sort of build a portfolio of, of myself, you know, apply for jobs. And then when I started posting, because, you know, not many people actually post on LinkedIn. They use it as a job searching tool or a networking tool. So I thought, well, you know, there's no one really looking, so I may as well try. Um, and then, you know, over the last year or so, it's been a slow build to where I am now, where I've managed to be in a position to leave my job and have this as my job. Yeah. So it, it wasn't built overnight, but I'm, I'm pleased that I'm in this position now because a few years ago, I wouldn't have even considered it a possibility. Yeah, and this is interesting because like these these conversations I'm having with people were sort of like what I'd say is is, is you know that, that early twenties, you know mid twenties, early early teens, like late teens even, um, just starting out in careers. And this is kind of what I wanted to start this year was diving more into you know people like me. What what are their experiences like? What are they doing? How are they find the start of their career? Because you know some people haven't chosen a conventional approach like you yourself. Like you're not just gone straight in from uni to copywriting and then you just stayed in copywriting until you're you know twenty six, twenty seven, and you you call you here now. You know, you've actually you've done a lot more. So can you just explain to me sort of, I guess, what happened from, you know, leaving school to now, what have you kind of done and what was your sort of, I don't know, your, your, not career history, but like what, what were you doing as like a, as a way to, you know, way to get by? Yeah, so did sixth form, English history, geography, went to university in Leeds to do English language and linguistics. Mm. Um, went through that thinking I was going to go into speech therapy. I was always fascinated okay. in... Uh, being a speech therapist, helping kids and young adults with eating or speaking impediments, uh, things like that, speech therapy. Um, so in first year of uni, I went to sort of a counsellor who's you know a career advisor and they sort of said, uh, you've kind of been misled because to be a speech therapist, it would be you know another one or two years doing a master's. And I didn't necessarily enjoy university that much. You know, I wasn't really big on the lifestyle of yeah. uni. I, I enjoyed, 
I was a bit of a not nerd, but I enjoyed the con the learning side of it. I didn't enjoy the the whole lifestyle. You know, I'm not a big partier. Nothing, nothing wrong with being a nerd. You know, <laughs> I like my own company. Yeah. You know, peace and quiet. It's probably why I'm not very good in sort of verbal uh, interactions because I prefer to just be on my own. But that's how I like it. Um, so, yeah, so I was kind of a bit disappointed that, you know, I didn't really want to do another two years of uni. And so I kind of ruled out speech therapy as an option. Mm. And between first and second year, I got a job at Aldi. I can probably say Aldi. Um, uh, working in quality control. <laughs> they won't control. come for you, it's fine. No, no, no. <laughs> what are they going to do? Fire me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was working at Aldi as a quality control assistant at the warehouse, um, checking the fresh fruit and veg and bread. And it, it's as exciting as it sounds. I'm looking at veg all day, you know? It's, but that I did it. soul destroying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. So I did that Saturday, Sunday, and obviously U- university Monday to Friday. So I'd drive from Leeds to, it was in South Yorkshire where I worked. So I'd drive there and back at the weekend and then I'd go back to uni on the Monday. So it was, it was tiring. Um, and then when I graduated in 2019, I was offered a promotion to like a deputy management position. So instead of two days a week part-time as an assistant, I'd be full-time as a deputy manager. Mm. And I hadn't really pre-planned any sort of career. I, you know, I, I hadn't really thought about it. I was sort of not really thinking about long-term. I was sort of just existing, you know. Um, so I took it. I'm like, this is an easy, safe. I know the job. Like I can do it with my eyes closed. So I took it and I just sort of coasted along. I enjoyed it at first, you know, learning the management part of it and things like that. And then sort of 2020, we kept open because Aldi stayed open, you know, for people buying things. So when everyone was furloughed, I was still working along with all the other Aldi staff. Um, So didn't really get a break to sort of think about what I wanted to do or change up, but I'd had enough by this point. So it was sort of early 2021 that I started looking back into new career options. So at first it was teaching and then I realized I don't like kids. So I thought that's an option that I've ruled out. That's gone out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't like kids. So why would I work with them? You know? Um, So then I came across copyright from a American guy called Eddie Schlainer. And he has a website called verygoodcopy.com. And it just blew my mind just reading his website. And he offers some free micro courses when you sign up to his newsletter. And he was just incredible. And it just led me down this wormhole of copywriters, authors, just people in that field. And then I just started learning the ropes teaching myself, looking, you know, doing people's courses, things like Mm. that. And so then while I was at Aldi, I was learning copywriting. And last year got picked up by a recruitment company in West Yorkshire to be their copywriter. So that was like my first big 
break or my first big job with copywriting. Um, and then while I've been there, I've been building with the skills that I've learned from in-house and from before that, my own business, copying that on the side. And that's been getting traction. And now that is my full thing. So that was a very long story, but within, so it's kind of been sort of five, six years in the works, but it's been copywriting for maybe the last three years. Yeah. And what was it about? I guess I, I, I won't be honest with you. I find it hard. Like, I, And it's quite nice having you on LinkedIn because I will just copy some of the stuff you've done. I won't lie to people. <laughs> That's fine. And I will That's change it. it and I'll make it applicable to yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. But it's stuff like that that makes it easier for, you know, people like myself that maybe are on LinkedIn. I, you know, growing mm. my own personal brand. But at this point, I'm looking like, what, what, I wouldn't find a copywriting course interesting. So what was it that for you that you grabbed onto? What was it that you thought actually when you were reading, you know, that great copy.com mm. website, what, what kind of jumped out at you? For me, it was how much he was saying with, it was saying so much with so few words. And the power of good copy is, it's that brevity. It's saying as much as you can in as little as possible. And Eddie has this incredible way with words where he can tell such brilliant stories and give such amazing advice without all the fluff and the waffle just to sound clever. He just gives you it in the simplest, clearest way. And that was what grabbed me because, you know, it, it wasn't overwhelming or daunting or like he was trying to gatekeep you. He was saying it is a, it's a skill that you need to learn how to write effectively, you know. Um, and it's funny, I've actually sort of gone the opposite way. So I used to be really flowery with my... I'd, you know, use really fancy words thinking I was top dog, you know, at university and bumping up the word count. Hmm. And then he's kind of taught me to do the opposite. So now when I try and write something creatively, it's hard because I'm now in this mindset of writing simply, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it was that thing that's like, um, if you can't like describe it to someone at like a two year old level, you could understand it. Yeah. Like if you can make it, the more you, like the simpler you can make the idea, the better. Yeah. And it's funny because the, like the other day I, someone messaged me and I used a piece of jargon because I'd been dealing with someone else in that field and they said, what is this? It was like an acronym that I'd used. And I, I was like, oh, sorry, that's me getting my, my jargon head on, you know, forgetting that. And that was me not being clear and concise and, you know, it happens to the best of us, but that for me is what sold it. It was just how clear and simple and effective so few words and you don't need all this flowery language. You can you can describe something through feelings rather than words and you use the words that you have to evoke emotion and that's how you get people to take action. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Like, I don't know if you think about the future at all. I mean, I know I, I do it all the time. I think about where I'll be in five, ten yeah, years. Like, me it's, too. Like, it's yeah, my, my addiction to life. I don't know what it is. Um, but if you like, if we're taking copy of that and looking at the sort of, you know, the next three or four years, maybe, what would you want to happen? What would you want to take it? What would be, you know, Lewis's dream for copying that? So, I, I'm not that interested in scaling it up into this massive business. I don't intend on having staff 
or anything like that. I just want a comfortable life writing about motorsport. Mm. So basically what I'm doing now, scaled up a little bit, so I've got a bit more um bit more financial freedom because that's we all work for money at the end of the day, you know. Um so yeah, I just want to be comfortable, have some nice financial freedom writing for motorsport outlets, working for myself as a freelancer in my own home. I'm pretty simple with what I want. If I could do this for the rest of my life, right now I feel like I'd be happy doing that. You know, I don't want a big team underneath me or I don't want to work in an agency for now. I quite like being my own sort of boss, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and this is a topic that I don't, to be honest with you, mate, I don't think a lot of people are age really talk about outside of, you know, maybe friendship circles. Um, but obviously, you know, we went through COVID. That, was, that wasn't that was great for most of us. I, I had a great time. I won't lie to you. I had three jobs. I was getting furlough pay and I kind of just did what I did. Nice. And it was a massive, just, well, to be fair, I used it as a distraction from, you know, life. I'd, I'd, mm. I think I'd broken up with someone before I went into lockdown and yeah. that relationship was quite dramatic for me. But like in terms of like your mental health and going through your, your journey, I mean, obviously, working out doesn't sound like the most fulfilling purposeful job um so if you wouldn't mind you know just always if you could you know if you were open to it discussing you know, your journey with it as well yeah definitely so you know it was it was a dark it was a dark time you know i'm not going to be all hyperbolic about it but um it was tough you know I, all my f- friends and people i knew and my partner were off because of it and I still had to go to work at a place I didn't want to be and it was frustrating because we were kind of just we were all sort of not feeling very safe because the precautions they put in place were so sort of half-assed you know so throughout the whole lockdown because we were in a warehouse at Aldi they didn't think masks were necessary because they argued you could actively give enough space whereas in a supermarket the 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 space is a bit more confined yeah which makes sense on paper but you have friends at work that you spend time with so you know you're not allowed to see friends outside of work you go to work and at that time, I, w- I was sort of on the fence of hating it and sort of it was a bit of socialising at the same time because I couldn't see anyone else. Um, and then you were kind of being peeled away from people if you were standing too close. And it was just a horrid time, wasn't it, really? You know, yeah. um, so it was frustrating to have worked through the whole thing. Obviously, the NHS were absolute heroes through that period. Um, I didn't feel like a hero, but I was classed as a key worker because I was working with food. But yeah, it was it was a tough time mentally and physically. Um, yeah, wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> um, would you? I guess would you say like it's like it? Because I know I know for me it's like, it's the reason this podcast exists. It's the reason why I decided to. You know, a year in after, you know, like I guess a year after we came back from it all, 
I was working on hospitality. I, I decided, like, you know, actually, I'd rather work on this. I'd rather work on, mm. you know, helping people find what's possible with, with automotive motorsport. Yeah. Um, did it do the same for you for, for motorsport? Did you got, give you more of a, I guess, a gleam light on it? Yeah, I mean, it was maybe at the when everything was starting to reopen, mm. it was there was very little appreciation for for what we'd just been through that year, and with even so, we were still working, and then naturally the panic buying started happening. So not only were we still working, workload increased to a sort of an unsustainable amount. So we were working harder than ever when everyone else wasn't working and mm. there was this uncertainty and there was all these new two meter rules and there was no masks. So we didn't feel safe. As I've already said, I'm repeating myself, but it was kind of, you know, it got to the end of that and there was some stupid rule where certain teams got the bonus and our team wouldn't. And it was kind of a bit of a civil war you know, between teams, like we've all worked through it. Why aren't we all getting it? So there was just a real feeling of underappreciation. And, you know, we've done all that, put our lives not on the line, but we were at risk of getting seriously ill, being coming in contact with these people every single day while everyone else mm. was at home safe. Um, and that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me where I didn't want to work for a big corporation anymore because... I'm worth more than just being a payroll number, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what kick-started me back into sort of not just coasting along in a job and actually thinking, right, I don't want a job, I want a career. And I don't just want a career working for someone. I want to make something. I want to have a legacy. Yeah. You know, not a massive, like, you know, I don't want to be the next Jeff Bezos. I just want to have a career that I'm proud of that I've built myself hmm. that isn't, you know, answering to someone else's, you know, basically I don't want to pay someone else's mortgage. I want to pay my own. No, I like that. No, it's great. Um, and listen, sort of come to the end of the podcast and there are five questions I'd like to ask. And the first of those being, what was your ultimate three car garage? So I think one would be a Nissan GTR. The, Any uh, particular year, or just a new one? Yeah, or the R35. There's sort That's, of yeah, yeah. late tens, like that era. Um, because I have fond, fond memories of playing Gran Turismo 5. And Sony worked with Nissan, and they did sort of the telemetry for the Nissan GTR, the G-Force meters and everything. So mm. it, for me, being a big Sony fanboy, it was just like the absolute dream car. Uh, so that would be one. The second would be a Lancia Delta Integrale. Oh, yeah. Absolute beauty. I just don't think there's a better looking car. Um, and then third would probably be... Uh, that's a good question. Now, I've seen a lot of chat around, um, you know, the new 911, the 992. Mm. Just uh, maybe a modern performance car like that um there's a fly sorry that's probably ruined that answer i can say it again if you want that's all right man. Don't worry about it. yeah <laughs> it's just being attacked by i've got plants in here and they seem to like them plant uh, daddy nice yeah so yeah, yeah. probably a 911 
Alancia, Delta, Integrale, and uh, Nissan GTR. Fantastic. Me must have loved the Grand Turismo film then. <laughs> I haven't actually seen it. Enough. Oh, you need to watch that. It's hilarious um... because I've actually been speaking to Darren Cox, you know, obviously the creator of GT yeah. Academy and everything. And I've written a piece for a client that refers to Jan Maddenborough and the whole Academy, but I haven't actually seen the film, which is probably sacrilege. But is it good? Is it worth a watch? I'd give it a go. Yeah. 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 Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it's on um, my radar. Yeah. Yeah. The next question is, you have one car to drive on any road or track, but you can only do it once. Where would you go and what would you take? So, it would be, I saw this track, um, I've seen this track on videos, uh, is it pronounced Bathurst? Bathurst? Oh, Bathurst, yeah, the Australian. Yeah, ridiculous track. Like, the top top hill section with the the constant Mm. phenomenal... Um, and I'd take something like, I don't know, an M2. So it's proper, just loose. And, you know, you'd feel out of control, but in control at the same time. And yeah, that track, I, I don't, I've n- I didn't see much of it until recently. And then I, I absolutely fell in love with it. Just seeing the onboards and I've seen the, mm. Daniel Ricciardo go around it in an F1 car. It's just ridiculous track. So that's probably my pick. Yeah. Nice, um, and Lewis, uh, this, this podcast. Um, sorry again, this podcast was, uh, you know, like I say, it's it's meant to show people what's possible with you know passion for motorsport, um, and with that, we obviously becomes a purpose. So, what would your what would you say your purpose is um, for, your, for your career for life? What would you, what would you say that was? My purpose will is hopefully to be. I'll start again. So, my purpose is to provide some of the, the the best sort of content in motorsport that isn't snobby and sort of prestigious, you know, because the higher up you get in the series, the more luxurious and fancy mm-hmm. it gets. And it's becoming less accessible for a regular person like you or I. Yeah. So I kind of want to bring that sort of natural, approachable, personable feel back into motorsport and make it fundamentally a sport that everyone can get involved in. So if you can read something and relate to it and it gets someone into motorsport, then I've done my job. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The advice you'd give to a younger Lewis, just asking out. Um, How young are we going? I mean, you can go as young as you want. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'd go to about age eight, Lewis, and I'd say, don't ask for BMX. Uh, there's a bike in the garage that you don't know about, so stick with that. Um, but then I would also have probably started this a couple years sooner had I known about it. So mm. obviously it was a hard time, but and it was hard to be proactive and productive during you know, the whole 2020, 2021 era. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you breeze by, yeah? Yeah. 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 Um, but I would like to sort of, I'd say to be more productive and always looking mm-hmm. at what you could be doing. And, you know, I wasn't happy, but I didn't do much about it to start with. 
I just sort of coast along and I was unhappy and it was making me miserable. It was making people around me unhappy because they didn't want to see me in that position. So yeah, be more proactive and productive and, you know, you only you can help yourself. Basically a job isn't going to, you know, an opportunity like this isn't going to come to me on a silver platter. I've had to work on it for a couple of years. Mm. So yeah, that would, that would be my advice to, to be proactive. No, great. And the last question is, Lewis, what do you love most about motorsport? The competition. Just the, mostly the respect uh, between competitors and just seeing, you know, because it's a team sport at the end of the day. You know, it's not just driver and car. It's the whole works that goes on behind the scenes that you don't see. But just the collaborative effort that produces some of the most entertaining sport. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything quite like the thrill of a good race. So that that is that is what I would say. Yeah. Um, well, Lewis, it's, um, like I say, we, we met online and um, I would, you know, I consider you a friend and it's been a pleasure to watch, you know, you grow on LinkedIn. Thank you. Um, and do what you're doing. It's, it's, a, it's a, yeah. If anything, it's motivation for me. So, uh, but thank you for your time. Thank you for being on and um, sharing your story. I really love doing these podcasts, not just because I get to meet great people, it's because I want to believe in what I'm doing is entertaining, advising or inspiring you to do more with your passion. They say to enjoy life, you do more of what you love and that is so true. I mean, take Lewis for example, as soon as he stopped his job at Audi, life became more vibrant and that could be you too. Oh, by the way, on top of this episode, Lewis kindly gave up his time to teach me and you more about copywriting and advertisement. If you want to learn more about it, the video is part of a new social club. I wanted a place for you guys and gals to go and meet online, chat about your passions and learn more about the automotive and motorsport industries together. It's only £10 a month and you'll get access to an exclusive community, get to ask me questions to help you on your own journey and watch videos that won't be available anywhere else. One last thing. If you could do me a massive, massive favour and share this podcast with someone that you know that loves cars. It means so much to me and it helps grow the podcast reach more people. More people mean better guests. Better guests mean better podcasts. And that's it. I'm Harry and this is Ignition Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.